but we'll read the context. It'll be Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, and I've been going through this in our church for, for a while, uh, phrase by phrase, and, but this is a, a very important verse to kind of park on. We'll read through verses 11. Uh, hear God's word as we look at it together. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a command in the Greek. And every Christian has this command to rejoice in the Lord. And if you read the book of Philippians, you'll see Paul is, is talking about rejoicing himself over and over in the most dire of situations because he's not in an ivory tower. He is chained to a Roman guard. His freedom is, what, about 16 inches, 12 to 16 inches, something like that. And he's writing this to the Philippians. And the Holy Spirit has it recorded for us so that we would know that rejoicing really is to be a priority in our life. But think about what keeps us from rejoicing is the wrong source of joy. Most find it easy to rejoice when things are going well such as when your spouse affirms their love for you. For others, they take pride and joy in their children as they're growing up. Some are delighted by hard work and, and being appreciated for it. I mean, that's always nice, right? Other people perhaps enjoy what we'd call the, the simpler things in this life. And remember, every good gift and perfect gift comes from God. But, but maybe it's the, the cooking of a meal or enjoying time outdoors, fishing or hitting a golf ball straight 260 yards or, or relaxing with a fun movie or a good book. And yet those are not the lasting forms of joy that Paul is writing about here because our, the most lasting joy you and I can ever have is in Christ. Christ. and in all that he's done in forgiving us and in saving us and having yet eternal glory for us in fact this is illustrated in the life of a reformed pastor and christian missionary john g payton from the mid 1800s he's an example of what the holy spirit is commanding us of here 
showing us that lasting joy in the ups and downs of life is only found in our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Think about John. He began his, his new life with his wife. They, they left Scotland to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the cannibals in the islands of the New Hebrides. And on one small island, no other Westerners were there, John built a small primitive house by his own hands. He delivered his first child as well. But shortly after that, his wife Mary died. Three weeks after that, their newborn son died. Here he is alone on this remote island, no one to share his tragedies with. He, he didn't have anyone to strengthen him even against the abuses of the native, violent natives forcing him to daily run for his life. And he wrote something in his journal, and I encourage everybody to read this book. It's now an autobiography. And he wrote, I would have gone mad and died myself beside the lonely grave of my wife and son, but for Jesus. Just so you know, the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, God did greatly bless John Payton's ministry, or decades of ministries there among the islanders, even turning one of John's greatest enemies into his most avid protector. And you might say, well, what about his wife? Well, admittedly, just before she died, Mary told him she would do it over again with even more pleasure in God. Yes, I would do it with all my heart. And these two Christians willingly gave up everything and they rejoiced, not in their circumstances, but in Christ their Savior. They were satisfied with knowing the triune God, following Him and living by faith in Him, looking forward to a blessed eternal life with Him. And that made them joyful, even amidst tears. What's the source of joy for you and I in this life? Paul is commanding that we rejoice not in some temporary pleasures, but by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he teaches us two things to rejoice in. First, that we must rejoice in the Lord. And secondly, to realize as we do that, it's protective to be reminded to rejoice again and again. In this verse, Paul begins finally. This is not like most pastors that, that uh, say, well, I, I'm concluding, but now I've just thought of five more things, so I'm going to quick add those things into. The, in the Greek there, actually, the idea is he's, he's marking or making a point. He's bringing into to focus something new. And he says, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And this teaches us first that as Christians, we must rejoice in the Lord. Have you ever thought about it? Joy is essential is an essential part of the life of a christian it's essential to the gospel to us as brothers and sisters in christ paul uses the term here in fact brothers is as a shorthand for all of us as christians this is something we're, we're called to this is joy is is a fruit of the spirit in fact galatians 5 2 tells us it's the second fruit of the spirit love is the first see this is something Christ intends for us to have and even gives us his Holy Spirit so that we would have it. Which is why he even said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. You think about it when we know the truth of God's promises, that they're ours by grace as a gift, that, that we're secure and that we're accepted 
before God and in Christ Jesus. That gives us joy. And in fact, the reality is, apart from Jesus Christ, apart from a relationship with him, you can't have the full orb joy that Paul is writing about. See, as Christians, we really do have a joy that the world does not know. Yeah, there's, there is a certain draw uh, and, and temporary happiness that sin brings. But it always ends in a piercing sorrow. That's why David, after the sins of a, adultery and murder, prayed, restored to me the joy of your salvation. And, and some people find short-term or short-lived happiness sinfully imagining that, that we're in control of this life. Yet you think about even these past couple of years and the trials in this fallen world which have confronted us, many of us daily painfully prove that we're not in control. And the reality is all sin, whether it's an attitude of unbelief or sinful actions or words, all of this must be dealt with in repentance before God before we're able to enjoy lasting joy. What did God tell Cain before he murdered Abel? If you do what's right, will not your countenance be lifted up? And again, that's pushing us to repentance when, when confronted by our sins, when, when God reveals what, what we have, how we have broken his law. It's why we begin prayerfully with an eye on God's word, asking, too, when we're going through struggles, we can ask ourselves, is there something I've done to displease you, Lord? Some sinful attitude, an envy, resentment, or critical or unforgiving or even ungrateful spirit. And if there is, then we need to repent. But I also want to make it clear. Sometimes the reality is you and I will face unexplained, heart-wrenching trials, which is not related to sin. Perhaps it's just life in this fallen world or attacks by the devil, the world, or even our own flesh. If you wonder about that, if you doubt, because I know uh, sometimes our default method is, well, I'm, not, I, this is, I'm, I'm facing this because of something else I've done. That was the struggle that Job's, quote, friends had with him. Oh, you must have done something bad. But you look at the point of Job, he hadn't sinned. It was Satan's temptation, Satan's assaults on him, which he never understood. But the point Paul's making here is that the source, if the source of joy is anything other than our unchanging Savior and his undeserved gift of redeeming grace and, and gracious love for us, it will be false and short-lived. Paul's setting before us in this letter his example of having joy in one of the worst situations that anyone could face. He was falsely accused, and he was in prison for it. Yeah, a lot of us have been falsely accused, but thankfully none of us have been jailed, at least that I know of, for that. And he's repeating this, this, this statement again to rejoice and, and, and to take joy in his situation, and then he'll repeat it again later in this letter too, commanding us as Christians to rejoice. It's, it's like a drum beating over and over, because this is important. Now we might say, well, why? Well, let's be honest. It's because... To rejoice is hard, actually. It's actually supernatural to be able to do that. Because Paul's not writing for us just to kind of paste a smile on our face and, and be happy for Jesus. 
Now, to rejoice in the Lord originates with God, and it originates in knowing Him. You know, the craziness of the trials in this past year and a half, it's easy at night to have all the different things kind of go through our minds, to, to lay restless and wonder about them. I, I've been telling people, I've been doing this, I've been honest about it. I literally have been putting headphones on at night and uh, listening to like RefNet radio, listening to different sermons and even Christian audiobooks. And, and no, it's not because pastors put me to sleep. But these remind me of God's sovereignty and his goodness. And so rather than my mind kind of going through and mulling over the things of the past day, my mind is lifting up, lifted up to the faithfulness of God. And it's easy for me to sleep. We need to be reminded of who God is in his loving kindness and his covenant faithfulness. And, and all of that does give us joy in this fallen, painful world. Paul writes again, rejoice in the Lord. This is in the Lord, this triune God. We, we take joy in through his Son, the incarnation of God's pure love, mercy, and truth. This is not a God that is distant. That's what the world wants to think. That he's distant, sour, hopeless, or helpless, frustrated, and personal force kind of out there somewhere. One atheist even called him the spaghetti monster. That's blasphemy. One can't be more heretical, uh, further from the truth than that. But here's the problem. We can give others around us a similar sense by our life if we are grumpy and melancholy Christians. If our life is like that, it's really slandering God. And so we have to argue to our hearts again and our minds that the one true God really does all things well. He is holy. He is right. As Psalm 104 shows us, the Lord rejoices in the works of his hands. Shouldn't we? Even in the difficult trials and struggles? Doesn't God send blessing as well as calamity? Remember after creation. Right at the very beginning, God called all that he had made in creation good. Very good. <laughs> and yes, there was the fall of Adam into sin, bringing the curse of death and condemnation. And that shows his wrath. But also, as the scripture says, that he might make known the riches of his glory and the vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. And he rejoices in that. He rejoices to save sinners like us through Christ. See, that means he, he's not frustrated like we are at what's going on. Because God is fulfilling the sovereign purpose of sanctifying his people, of chastening of, of, of driving us to repentance when it's needed. He's also pushing the wicked, or punishing the wicked as a warning of the eternal punishment of hell, so that they're without excuse. More incredibly yet is the fact that our triune God rejoices over us as repentant sinners, and he, who brings us to see our helplessness and our need of him. Do you understand that? 
You understand, God rejoices over you. That was hard for me to understand for a long time in my life. But if you doubt it, look at Zephaniah. Looking forward to to Christ in Zephaniah 3. To take our sins and our judgment on himself. God declares, the Lord your God is in your midst The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. This rejoicing is grounded in his delighting in mercy towards us, delighting in Christ his son. See, God is not a somber God. This is not denying, too, by the way, that there's a lot in our lives that we would not characterize as happy. The Holy Spirit shows us even with Christ our Savior, the very Son of God, that it was for the joy set before him he endured the cross, despising its shame. And under the sovereign plan of God, whose ways are not our ways, for whom the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, with his unsearchable judgments, which are past finding out, we need to know that whatever happens Our position in Christ, our Savior, is secure. We were formerly children of condemnation. We were enemies of God. But now you and I are sons and daughters of the living God, adopted through Christ. Go through Scripture. And you'll see, even with with little hints of what's going on, People rejoice. We have the Savior born into this world. And what did the wise men do? Seeing his star, they rejoiced exceedingly. Go further. And and you have those that that Christ turned back the effects of sin, and, and he forgave them, and, and, and they rejoice. So you see the disciples after Christ's resurrection, they, when they hear the news and when they begin to understand it, they, they go away with, with exceeding joy. We have Jesus who fulfilled all the law for us to prepare the way to do everything that is uh, by his life and sacrificial death on the cross so you and I would be accepted. So we would be loved uh, with an everlasting love as those who have been brought to faith and repentance. And yeah, we're still going to be imperfect. We're still going to be struggling. And sometimes that's going to cause a a struggle with assurance. But as Brockle said, If we're waiting for our assurance to be based in what we do, we'll always be waiting because it's imperfect. Our obedience will always be imperfect. And yet, when we look at what God does for us, it brings us joy. The Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, when when he began to understand the sufferings of Christ, that it was for his sins, it says, he went on his way rejoicing. All that has been done is so that Christ one day will receive you to himself in glory. And yes, circumstances will always change. And yet rejoicing, Paul writes here, the rejoicing here that Paul writes about remains even in our tears when it's based on the faith 
in the crucified, risen, and ascended Lord Jesus. The world does not know him. And it does not have this joy. And one of the things we need to know is, and need to argue again to our own hearts, is also what Martin Luther said, referring to rejoicing. He says, the Christian ought to be a living doxology. The question is, are we? I know I fail at this. And yet we have reasons to to rejoice for for God in his infinite wisdom has ordained everything to work out according to his plan. And that means there's not a wasted trial, not a wasted pain in your or my life. And when we begin to understand that, that should change the focus of our life. Now, it doesn't mean it's a sin to weep or be sorrowful. As we read earlier, we are to weep with those who weep. And all you have to do is open up the Psalms and and you have examples of of crying out to the Lord for for all sorts of reasons. And most of the time in overwhelming storms storms of this life. Go to the book of Job. You'll see he wished he had never been born. What is God's statement? Even in all this, he did not say sin. We can go through life struggles and wish that because of the pain. But we can't stop there. That would be a sin because for what God does and has a good purpose for, even in all the pains of our life, should make us rejoice even in our tears. See, what we need to do is we need to start looking at our life in light of God's provisions, His promising to care for us, to never leave us nor forsake us. We can't be resentful. We can't give up. We cannot think, well, Lord, you know, I would, only, I would rejoice if, if only you would do this, or if only that, or, or if only I wasn't married to a knucklehead or, or someone so cold, I'd, I'd be happier with a, a better job or more money or maybe a different family, or, or to say, Pastor, I could be happier if your sermons didn't last so long or, or that they were longer, and I've been told both. Being adopted. Into the family of God in Christ, you and I have a relationship and resources for joy no matter what we are lacking. And the omniscient, all-knowing God knows you and me with, with all of our sinful baggage, all of our continued weaknesses, and yet he values us not because of us, but because of Christ. He has sovereignly drawn us and declared that there's no longer any condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Yes, we will be reminded daily that this world is not our home as Christians. And one day we will be delivered by God, the Son, to our Heavenly Father, before whom our pleasures forevermore. Sin and sickness will be banished, and He will wipe away the very last tear from our eyes. See, we are the only ones, because of Christ, secure in Christ, that we have everlasting joy to look forward to. As J.C. Riles says, these are just slivers to be plucked at the gates of heaven, and they'll end there. 
Again, we're not going to find our joy in this life. It's in his covenant faithfulness and mercy that gives to you and I as a gift of his grace that we find joy. Now, when Paul adds, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it's safe. It teaches us, lastly, as Christians, it's protective to be reminded to rejoice again and again. The context as we read it, the context for this command to rejoice is preparing them to face false teachers. Let me explain it this way. You know, one of the things I, I usually have in marriage counseling, whether pre-marriage counseling or even later too, and after somebody's been married for years, is that they should not complain about their spouse before the opposite sex. Why? Because I've seen it over and over how Satan likes to use that like a baited hook before a fish. Think about it. And the same thing is true with false teachers or the world when it hears us complain about the church. It gives a crack in the door. It gives a foothold to the devil. Consider Moses' last sermon, which is the whole book of Deuteronomy. He repeats in ten different ways to the children of Israel, telling them, you shall not forget. Beware, you do not forget. Remember, do not forget. Eight times to remember again. Why? Because we so often can forget God's commands. We can so often forget his miraculous care. We forget the reason to rejoice in the context of today's passage. It only took a few days after being miraculously delivered through the Red Sea for the children of Israel to complain. And they slandered God by their grumbling. And it opened the door to false teachers like Datham and Abiram and Numbers who contended with Moses and Aaron. And what did God do? In judgment, he opened up the earth to swallow up and devour the 250 men who followed them and also sent fire from heaven. Grumbling, complaining. And yet you and I have reason to rejoice, to rejoice in Christ who protects us even from false, and I should say rejoicing in Christ protects us from false teaching. Paul is going to go on to condemn and did condemn the the Judaizers who taught faith in Christ plus the Jewish ceremonial laws. The Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 settled the issue that the Gentiles did not have to practice the dietary laws or be circumcised because it all pointed to Christ. It was all fulfilled in his, his uh, perfect work of the law or obedience of the law. And he was, it was done for us who can. And even though we don't have Judaizers today, the damnable air is still around. When we are struggling and, and we're not trusting and rejoicing the promises of God that, that we are forgiven. Others that trust in outward religious acts or or those who want, quote, the higher life will sit there and say, well, you'll have more joy if if you do these things, X, Y, and Z. And and really what it does, it takes the the assurance and the joy in Christ and, and it puts it back to us. And yet you and I know we fail so miserably at obeying God even in the simplest things. That's why you will only find joy in trusting the finished, complete, gracious work of Christ alone. Of our sins being laid on Him while His righteous life and atoning death on the cross is credited to our account as a gift. 
That's why Paul shows his, his unprecedented or unparalleled outward credentials, even as he ignored the sins of his heart, as he later talks about in Romans. But compared to Christ's righteousness, all the things we can do are rubbish, literally as dung, as Paul says, to have only the righteousness which is enough, which comes to us through faith in Christ. And trusting what we have done will never bring contentment. It'll never bring joy because we can never do enough. We can't be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Only Christ can because He's God the Son. And the reason Paul is telling us to rejoice again and again is to remind us what we so easily forget. Our salvation in Christ. John Newton, the preacher and hymn writer of Amazing Grace, had above his desk, Deuteronomy 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Because he says in his life, because after his mother died, his mother at, at, uh, at their bed, bedside as she was dying, she says, don't, don't forsake the Lord. But he kept forgetting the Lord. And you can follow his life and, and see his biography and, or, and, and see that. He became one of the foulest mouth sailors on the ship, and he was, he, he was fined for that. He, he became an insolent sailor and, and actually a, a slave trader, and then ultimately he became a slave himself, and he was whipped, and, and he kept forgetting, and his life kept going lower and lower into sin. And so later, when people asked him why that passage was above his desk, he replied, my memory has proven to be so poor that I can so easily forget God's great mercy to me. Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit, and he has his word repeating sometimes the same things over and over. You look at Jesus, even in the parables, and, and, and one time he, he talks about the parable of the lost sheep, then he talks about the parable of the lost coin, then he talks about the parable of the lost son to remind us of his grace and to, to, to remind us of the assurance of, of what he has done for us. And he's given us even his Holy Spirit as he's promised to bring to remembrance all of the things I have said to you. And even here, we have this command again and again to rejoice. To rejoice in the Lord. Because that's essential in the Christian life. And it guards you and I against the trials that we face. It guards us against the false teaching in this life. Because what is when we see the, the glory of what God has done to us? I mean, it, it shows that all the treasures of this life are gilded treasures of dust. It shows the false teachers are, 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 are the false teaching is bland. Besides, it's hard if we're rejoicing to complain, right? Well, brothers and sisters in Christ... The desire in us for real lasting joy is there because we've been made in the image of God. A God who is joyful. And yes, we can be overwhelmed at times by the circumstances of our life. Our faith can be worn down as Job's was and, and he was reminded in the end of the sovereignty and the faithfulness of God that never fails. You know, one of the privileges that I have as a pastor by God's providence is to be with many who are near at the moment of their body dies and their spirit goes to be in God's presence. And I know that kind of sounds maybe strange and morbid, but studying this passage, I was reminded 
of one member who was in great pain. His cancer was doubling, they said, every day. He had a mask over his face to help him breathe at the end. And as long as he could, as we were singing hymns, he would mouth those hymns right along with us. He, along with us, were, were rejoicing greatly even while we were being grieved by the trial of death. And he entered glory to the hymns of praise of God. That's the rejoicing that Paul is writing about here, commanding us to rejoice in the Lord, repeating the command again and again so so that we don't forget to protect us from the melancholy and, and the false teachers, whether of legalism or of others, because we have a faithful God, as Lamentations promises, that though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. That's the source of joy for us. And in light of the unfailing, forgiving love of God, John Newton's tombstone, and I believe written by himself, reads this, John Newton, once an infidel and libertine, in other words, he did everything he could to be sinful against God, a servant of slaves in Africa was, by the rich mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. His joy was in the Lord. Where is your joy? Where is mine? What does the world see? We need to think about that. Let's pray. Almighty God, most gracious Heavenly Father, by your command, given by your Holy Spirit through Paul, help us to put to death the deeds of the flesh, which includes what we can sometimes, or often many of us, wrestle with, with melancholy and gloominess and even depression. And we know with depression it can be also our fallen mind and the chemicals not working right. But it also can be forgetting who we are in Christ because that brings sadness and discouragement. Make us to rejoice in you as as you command. Rejoicing because who you are and because of the resources we have been given by the gospel. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who works that fruit of joy in us. Strengthen that joy and make it increase more and more in our lives till we enter glory and that everlasting joy begins. So by your grace and Holy Spirit, help us to put on joy and not forget this command. Let us not forget that we have eternal reasons to rejoice in you. Not like the worldly carnal happiness, but deep-seated joy in Christ. Help us to rejoice now, even now, in confident hope, firm to the end, in you and your purposes, which will be made clear in eternity. And will be the reason we praise you for eternity. We ask this for the glory of your name and our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.